July the 3rd, 1981. The Ford F-150 patrol truck drew to a stop outside the diner, gravel crunching beneath the heavy vehicle's tires. Both doors opened as the rumble of the engine fell quiet. The occupants of the truck walked into the diner and silently took the booth furthest from the door. As was typical for that time of year, the diner was busy. Its patrons, a roughly equal mix of local residents and holidaymakers from out of town. The out-of-towners were easy to spot. Their utility pants and fishing vests were just slightly too crisp and clean. A sure sign that these items had only been retrieved from the corner of a closet for this once or twice a year outing. But on this morning, every diner in the place turned and stared as the two men walked in. It wasn't because of their distinctive khaki uniforms. After all, they were well known in town. Nor was it because of the large revolvers that each man carried on his hip. Those, too, were a familiar sight to most locals. Rather, it was the hollow, vacant facial expression that both deputies wore. It was the way they shuffled wordlessly past all the other tables and people on the way to their own booth. There were plenty of military veterans among the local population, and those in the diner on this morning immediately recognized what they saw. They'd seen that look on the faces of their colleagues, and in some cases, in their own mirrors. The look of men who'd seen things that they would spend the rest of their lives reliving. But even among the people less accustomed to physical violence and trauma, there were raised eyebrows and nervous glances exchanged. What could have prompted these mannerisms in two long-time law enforcement officers in a quiet, generally peaceful small town? The clinking of cutlery on plates hesitantly resumed once the two deputies had sat down. Each stared at the table in front of them, each silently replaying what they'd seen. The patrol had been progressing unremarkably. Deputy Lucas Hall was behind the wheel, while Deputy Andrew Boyd was in the passenger seat. He was leaned back in his seat, but his eyes were alert as he scanned the dense tree line just beyond his window. Neither deputy was particularly concerned about violent crime. They were far more likely to be confronted with stranded drivers, lost hikers, and perhaps issues with wild animals. Although the latter was handled by the park rangers, if it was within the national park area, the hum of the truck's tires on the rural highway was interrupted by the radio crackling into life. The sheriff's office informed the pair that they were required at the national park, and it was urgent. Boyd asked for more details, but the dispatcher didn't have any. After exchanging a quizzical glance with his partner, Hall gripped the wheel firmly and accelerated the truck. Some 15 minutes of driving later, the turn he was looking for came into sight. He steered onto the dirt road, reducing speed as it wasn't exactly well maintained. The national park in question was called the land between the lakes. It was named as such due to being bordered on the east by Lake Barkley and on the west by Kentucky Lake, consisting of some 170,000 acres straddling the states of Kentucky and Tennessee 
The park was largely a wilderness of woodlands, punctuated by campsites and the trails leading to them. On this day, the deputies had been called to a remote campsite near the west shore of the park. Upon reaching the camp, Hall was surprised by what he saw. Near the far end of the camp was a large RV. RVs were common in this area, of course, but what surprised him was seeing one at this particular campsite. The trail leading to it had been rough, requiring him to carefully pick his line in the pickup truck. Yet someone had navigated the trail in a large, low-slung RV that certainly wasn't built for this sort of terrain. The driver must have been highly skilled or extraordinarily determined. As he parked and got out of the vehicle, the deputy immediately knew there was something badly wrong. There were three rangers in sight, none of them speaking to each other. Instead, they all stood in different areas of the campsite, looking around in various directions. It seemed that they were doing their level best to avoid looking at the RV. Hall and Boyd approached the ranger nearest to them, hoping to be given some clue as to why they were needed. Instead, they were curtly told to follow the ranger through the RV. Both deputies had observed the ranger's pale demeanor and halting speech, as though he were trying to suppress nausea. As they approached the RV, Hall noticed that flies seemed to be swarming the vehicle. The air was becoming foul as they got closer. Deputy Hall felt a pang of dread. The reason they'd been called was becoming obvious, and he knew what he was about to see. Or so he thought. Hall stopped short of the RV's door. Several things stood out to him. The top half of the door had been folded backward as though it were made of nothing more than paper. Dripping out of the bottom of the door was thick red liquid. Neither deputy needed to be told what it was. Perhaps most disturbingly were the deep gouges that marred the vehicle's body. In some parts, the gouges were so deep that the aluminum structure had been torn all the way through. Hall's mind raced as he tried to think of a rational explanation for what he was seeing. While certain predators had formidable claws, he could think of none powerful enough to cut through an RV like butter. Nor could he think of any animals that would continue to attack and pursue humans to that extent when they were inside a vehicle. The feeling of dread only worsened as the ranger opened the door of the RV. The deputies stiffened as they saw the quantity of blood on the floor. Worse were the small, pale, pink chunks mixed into the blood, resembling the product of a meat grinder. The deputies entered the vehicle, grimacing as the mixture on the floor squelched beneath their boots. It was apparent that this was a high-end RV, fitted out with all the latest features and luxuries of its time. But now, standing in its plush cabin, the deputies held their breath to stave off the suffocating stench of rotting flesh. Looking around the scene while absent-mindedly swatting away flies, Hall struggled to identify any of the gruesome remains as having once been a human. Tersely, he asked to be shown the bodies, only to be told that these were the bodies. Having decided that they'd seen enough inside the RV, the men stepped outside again. They now understood the hollow expressions they'd seen on the rangers' faces earlier. 
the look of people who simply couldn't process what they'd seen. The deputies were told that the RV had contained a family of three. What they'd just seen were the remains of the parents and their young daughter. Hall curiously asked how the park rangers had determined this information so quickly. After a few nervous glances were exchanged, the rangers explained that the family had also included a teenage son. He had been riding his mountain bike in the woods and claimed to have witnessed what had happened upon his return to the campsite. The teenager was now seated in one of the ranger's trucks. Before speaking to the boy, Paul was cautiously advised that he was about to hear something he would never forget. The boy was wide-eyed, pale and seemingly incapable of unclenching his fists. He related what he'd seen in little more than a hoarse whisper, his eyes darting around the campsite as he spoke. He explained that he'd been riding his mountain bike in the woods until near sunset. As it got dark, he rode back to the campsite. But as he got closer, he noticed that something didn't feel right. The woods were completely silent. Just a few hundred yards earlier, there had been the sound of birds, insects, and the gentle rustling of leaves on the trees. Yet as he got closer to the camp, there was nothing but silence. The subdued clicking of his bicycle's chain sounded as loud as a whip compared to the silence of the wilderness. Then he heard it. The screams. The screams of human beings having their lives ripped away from them and being completely helpless to stop it from happening. He'd had the sense to stop his bike and carefully lay it down in the brush to avoid being heard. He then walked the last few yards to the camp on foot. At first, he thought his eyes were deceiving him. He saw the hulking, dark shape, similar to a wolf, but upright and far larger than any wolf could possibly be. The RV was large, but the creature he was seeing stood nearly as tall, placing it somewhere around eight to nine feet. The family had tried to seek refuge inside the vehicle, but the creature was tearing into the metal with terrifying ease. It peeled back the door as though it were opening a tin can. It had to crouch sharply to fit itself into the confines of the RV. The chassis rocked violently as it stepped inside. The screams of the family reached a crescendo, but as the thing moved through the cabin of the vehicle with a series of muffled thumps, the screams gradually quietened. Then they became whimpers. Then there was silence once more. The boy stood paralyzed with fear, hidden behind the trees, but he knew he had to get as far away as possible by the time the beast re-emerged from the vehicle. He also knew that the beast would be the only thing to ever emerge from the vehicle again. Breaking out of his petrified trots, he had turned and ran, leaping onto his bike and pedaling furiously into the woods. Every few moments he looked over his shoulder, thinking the enormous creature would be inches away. He kept going until he happened to stumble upon a trail in the park. From there he'd been picked up by another group of campers and taken to a ranger outpost. Paul didn't consider himself the finest investigator in the world, 
but he was completely confident that the teenager was telling the truth. As bizarre and terrifying as the truth was. Even if he wanted to doubt the boy's story, the deputy himself could think of no more plausible explanation. As if the story itself wasn't strange enough, what happened immediately after was sufficient to make both deputies and all the park rangers question everything they'd ever believed or stood for. No sooner had they heard the boy's story than three large black trucks arrived at the campground. Several armed individuals emerged, identifying themselves only as federal agents. They curtly informed the deputies that they would be handling the scene from that point on. With that, they cordoned off the area and ordered everyone else to leave. It took no great perception to understand that it would be unwise to argue with these agents. Deputy Hall's last glimpse of the surviving teenager was as he was being ushered away towards one of the agent's trucks. There was little the deputies could do but leave the area. They would spend the next few hours sitting speechless in a local diner, unable to accept what they'd just seen and heard, but equally unable to deny it. A few days after the incident, Hall ventured back to the campground. Unbelievably, it was immaculate. No RV, no cordoning, not so much as a blade of grass out of place. Yet while he stood on the site of the gruesome incident, the deputy couldn't shake the feeling that he was not alone. He found himself clenching the grip of his revolver while tensely watching the tree line for movement. He lost no time in retreating to his vehicle, leaving the foreboding campsite for the last time. In the weeks and months that passed, Hall purchased every newspaper he could find and sat glued to his television every time there was a news broadcast. And yet, there was nothing. Far from making nationwide headlines as it should have, what happened that day never garnered so much as an inch of newsprint. Never was there an explanation for the beast of the land between the lakes.